Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Hassan Talks Podcast. This episode comes as well as uh, part of the series that I'm starting uh, recently, which is Sudanese Creators, where you'll be able to host and have uh, amazing Sudanese talents from all over the globe uh, to, to explore more uh, what they've been doing lately and uh, the amazing potentials they have, and also to you know, to, to give more opportunity to our Sudanese uh, communities to, to, you know, to be out there and, and give them some sort of a platform. And this podcast is always a platform for, for Sudan and its people. And I couldn't be happier to have on this episode, Muhammad Jafar all the way from the UK. He's a, a poet and he's also a very active member of uh, Sudanese Diaspora Network. Who These guys have been doing amazing work in the last two years with the Sudanese revolution and uh, also uh, supporting Sudan during the pandemic and uh, during the flood season and, and so on. So on this episode, we will talk all about that and even more. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And Mohamed Jafar, welcome to our podcast. Hassan, thank you so much for having me. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you know, creating these, these important spaces. Um, and even if we look, you know, a year or two years ago, a lot of these, a lot of these spaces and, um, you know, organizations and initiatives, they didn't really exist. So it's just, it's great to be here. It's great to um, be able to talk about this. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, you know, mashallah, you've, you've been, you know, you've been going strong with the podcast. So, um, yeah, I hope, you know, I hope you'll continue to, to, to do so and continue to bring, uh, bring light to, you know, what people are working on. Well, thank you. I forgot to mention as well that you are a podcaster too. So you have your own podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I've, I've got my podcast. It's on a, it's on a little bit of a break at the moment. You know, we've, we've, we've spoken before about, uh, you know, timing and in terms of keeping consistent with it. And yeah, it is one of the toughest things I'd say, uh, especially yes. when life, life hits and you just got other things to juggle it is, it is it's really it's really tough it's really tough and, and maybe this is one of the things that people sometimes don't realize that uh, if you are creating some sort of content uh, people just see sometimes the end result of it you know and they don't see the work that you put into this and it's a big thing and of course i believe also it's a big thing to create some content or some real work uh, for for a society or for a big community like the sudanese Diaspora Network. So I want you to kind of introduce the network to who's ever not familiar with it and, you know, take us like into it, into their work lately. Yeah, sure. So, um, so the Sudanese Diaspora Network or SDN as, a, as we tend to go by, it's, um, you know, a youth and young professionals led um, global network. Um, and the kind of three of the, its main pillars are, uh, our pillars are to unify, mobilize and empower the diaspora towards a sustainable Sudan. Um, and so, you know, the, if you look at, if you look at, and um, you know, as we kind of mentioned, Alhamdulillah, now we're seeing lots and lots of really great organizations doing lots and lots of really great work. Um, and I think if we like, if we look back a year or two ago, maybe, t- sorry, two plus years, you'll see that a lot of the organizations, they weren't necessarily youth led. Um, you know, there was youth presence, but there wasn't this um, youth led uh, version and I think there was always that appetite from the Sudanese youth um, the Sudanese diaspora grassroots it's you know everywhere there's been that appetite and what happened with the revolution is it showed that youth-led does work um, and I guess you know being us being in the diaspora we 
we we saw what was happening in, in Sudan and the Sudanese revolution and there was this kind of um you know this question as how do we get involved how do we um contribute um and so that's when uh, SD, uh, SDM world was was kind of the idea started to form um and yeah it became this kind of if it was formed as this global it was formed as a vehicle for the global diaspora to to kind of take part and to try and further the Sudanese revolution um, as much as we could from our positions. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of its origins. I wasn't part of the sort of uh, founding, but I was a very early member and I've been, you know, ha very happy to, to get involved in, um, in what we've been doing. Yeah, and alhamdulillah, this year we were very active as you, as you saw, and that's yeah. how I guess we got to know each other as well. Yeah, yeah. This year you had uh, you guys had an amazing uh, activities during Ramadan, like almost no. It was actually like daily activities, you know, for the whole month. And of course, during the pandemic, it was kind of necessary, I think. Yeah, Subhanallah. I mean, um, yeah. So we had this Layali Ramadan program, um, and it kind of had two aspects to it. It had the the kind of the fundraising um, element. Uh, which we throughout our events would continuously talk about the fundraising aspects, which I'll come on to in a, in a second. And it also had all of the events and the kind of the community side, because like you said, you know, this was a very different Ramadan for most of us. No Tarawih, so the nightly prayers, yeah. uh, no real community um, sense in terms of going to the masjid and, and, and breaking your fast with others. You know, me just thinking back to my previous Ramadan experiences, you know, I was based in London, um, not with my family. So I would go to the masjid all the time and, and, you know, break my fast with just, you know, other, other Muslims around the table. You don't know them. You just, you know, enjoy the, enjoy those moments. Um, and so very, very different. And yeah, we put on, <laughs> we put on a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, events. And I think just to give you a kind of some insight into, our thought processes behind that as well. We didn't just like for us, it was so important that the events added something. Um, and the, because what we had found was at that time during lockdown, it was almost like content creators or just every day, everybody was just creating more and putting more out there. Everyone was going live. Everyone was, you know, and so there was so much there. But the fact for us was that it's Ramadan, like people, we don't want necessarily people to just come onto the Instagram page and, and waste their time. But actually, if we can add something valuable and at the same time, sure. create a community feel, then actually that's, that's a game. So, you know, we had daily uh, Quran recitations, we had uh, tafsirs, we had, um, you know, we had different talks, we had talks about mental health, we had talks about relationships all kinds of things so it was very much about um you know how do we add value and and then another one which i think was a very well received series was the um ramadan ma'ana which i think you were you were on right yeah i was on it yeah yeah so um that one yeah that was i think that was i really enjoyed actually just seeing seeing into like getting a little peek into other people's uh into other people's lives um so you know that every day we had I think a different person taking over the SDN page and they would just post about what they were doing uh, in Ramadan and 
you know, whether it's helping their family with the cooking or, um, you know, and so on. Um, and then in the end, we kind of, we, we ended with this, um, this global sort of uh, event, um, which we, usually we have done as a kind of iftar event uh, across different cities. Um, but, you know, in person, and this time it was very much a sort of, you know, digital joining in, there were talks, uh, there were uh, performances from different artists and different poets. Um, and even if I give you even more insight into how much we actually had to plan this was we kind of, we set up this Google calendar and um, we started, basically we like imported the prayer times <clears throat> for like Sahur. Um, so like the, you know, pre, pre uh, meal, um, pre dawn meal, was it dusk? But at the, 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 you know, Sahur and Fatur. And then we also put, you know, Maghrib, all, all those times in so that people, and not just because we kind of have, we have a UK people, Sudan people, um, and then we have East Coast and kind of West Coast. So we put all of those times in wow. and then we kind of like wow, looked at what space. <laughs> yeah, we're like, what space do we have left in the calendar to put events in? And we tried, we, you know, we tried our best to put them in because, you know, the events were really good. And I think as we started to realize like everyone can't make every event, we did try and make sure that these are all being captured and documented so that we could come yeah. back to them later. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, for me, for somebody who's like a viewer or a follower of the community, I don't even remember how I got to know the, the SDN network at that time, you know, how I followed you guys. I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. I kind of lost track of that. But I, what I, I remember is like, it was some like, like, uh, like a TV channel, you know, Ramadan people usually like follow like a specific TV channel. For me, like that was the SDN. It was like they recite Quran at some hours and some other hours, like they have this Ramadan Ma'ana. And then you also have... Uh, like talks and motivation speakers and poets and programs and stuff. It was like a proper TV channel that's just on Instagram <laughs> done by people in our age. It was, it was magnificent, man. Like, I, I think I've said this to you guys that you don't realize the great work that you guys have done, but it was, it was, it was really brilliant. And I'm sure that's not the last thing that you guys have done. So more to come for sure. But what I want to say, and this, this, I have this question for, for a long, long, long time. Uh, Sudanese diaspora network that's the, that's the official long term and it's the short term or the abbreviation is SDN right mm -hmm. so SDN as well like it can go for Sudan like short for Sudan well so you're asking if the, there was any thought in yeah that. was it intentional or a complete coincidence no I think I think I think it was intentional um, I think yeah I think it definitely was intentional as I, I, I as I as far as I'm aware, I think so, you know, you know, it's, it's part of, part of the attraction of, of those three, uh, picking the acronym. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to tell people that feedback, uh, about the TV channel because they'll, they'll, um, they'll really enjoy that. And, uh, and as well, you actually came to the Eid Azuma event as well. So we did a, this kind of Eid, uh, event over zoom. Again, this was kind of in peak lockdown and, I think we were on, it was, we were on a call for maybe like four or five hours by the end of it. And it was so yeah. surprising that, you know, most people actually stayed on throughout, like most events that you have, you kind of see the numbers like dwindle. Um, but we got, 
you know an international audience and we got people who stayed on throughout and it's funny because we kind of we came up with that idea maybe like a week or five days before aid and we were kind of like i just sort of you know we just sort of said should we do something for aid and then we just started brainstorming came up with the idea and then people were like hmm i'm not sure you have enough time and then we were yeah. like okay let's let's see what we can do let's yeah, see yeah. um but yeah i mean i think yeah it was it was it was a really good experience but it also i think it did de definitely take a toll on it it really needed us to all we had to band we really had to band together to kind of um be that consistent you know in terms of all of those events it really was a massive group effort so there's you know so many people um who whose effort and, and hard work went into that yeah I can, I can only imagine the hard work that you guys have put through ramadan and then the cherry on top was the eid uh, zoom call or the eid zoom that was also very very nice and we had amazing speakers and amazing artists and also amazing games uh, through the uh, <laughs> through through the zoom that was very very nice yeah i i it's like it feels again it feels like i don't know a year ago or two but this was just months ago man it does it really does um and yeah those those games like we it was like the day before we were we were trying to trialing them and seeing seeing how they would work because obviously like with zoom you have these kind of like breakout room features and we were like okay let's let's see how much we can use those yeah and there was this big plan about how you know you would be able to move certain people in a, in one like clockwise and then move the other and then the other people would move themselves anti-clockwise and in the end it just none of that worked and we just kind of <laughs> went okay what we're going to do is we're going to put people in breakout rooms and then we'll give them a few minutes and then we'll take them out and then randomly assort them again and hope that they're not with somebody they've already been with um because yeah it just Zoom wasn't ready for uh, what's the game called again? People Bingo. Um, Something like this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But most of the other ones worked well. Alhamdulillah. Uh, no, no, it, it did work well. You, you were the host, I remember, with uh, another one, another host. I don't, I forgot her name. Samar, Samar, yeah, and, yeah. and Azza. Yeah, those were the two hosts. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a bit difficult, I think, to manage like over Zoom to host a group of people from their screen. That's a completely different experience. Yeah, and and I think if you've seen like, so like this is we're now in kind of like phase three of of the pandemic let's say um if we're kind of splitting into the quarters with march to um you know march being quarter one and then the summer being oh sorry march being phase one summer being phase two and then winter kind of being phase three so what i've noticed is a lot of these like much bigger events now they're doing it like webinar style so there's no real interaction with um the kind of you know hosts and the, the speakers but you know in the earlier phases a lot of people didn't really know how to use zoom let alone do webinars so it was all kind of like yeah. everyone in there and then you'd have like someone's aunt chatting in the background and like somebody's <laughs> somebody's cat purring and you're like true, okay true. true but the, the good thing is like at that phase uh, the first phase as if it was like trial and error people were accepting mistakes, you know, people were kind of okay with everything. So everybody's learning, you know, like big companies or like individuals. So it was completely okay to actually shoot your shot and do whatever you want to do, you know, spontaneously. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the thing is that we were just willing to try, you know, um, yeah. and it, it worked in the end, alhamdulillah. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, there was, 
Um, so on top of the on top of the kind of the event side, which I guess is like the part of the outward facing side, there's the the kind of the fundraising campaigns, um, which I said I thought I said I'd mention. So we kind of we had three major fundraising campaigns this year, um, and the first and all of them were kind of collaborative uh, uh, campaigns. And the first one was the Layali Ramadan one. So we managed to fundraise. Uh, 16k um, $16,000 which is really really good Um, and essentially the what we what we did was the we kind of had how that was gonna uh, be split up so about almost 10k uh, we bought PPE here um, and we shipped that to Sudan to six uh, COVID centers in um, Khartoum and Umdurman and then a further 5k went to this organization called Youth for Change and Development. Um, and they supplied PPE to nine different hospitals in Sudan. And those were mainly outside of Khartoum. And then a further 1,000 went to this initiative called the Sudan the Safe Initiative. Um, and that went towards distributing food packages and um, sort of hand sanitizer, as well as generally raising awareness um, on COVID. And yeah, so that kind of brings you onto the Sudan the Safe initiative, which um, it's it it is still going actually, and it's this coalition between a number of U.S. and grassroots organizations um, who are basically working towards improving health conditions in Sudan. And obviously, it was initially focused around um, COVID, and so kind of on top of that 1K that we fundraised through the Leali Ramadan event, um, or sorry, a set of you know that campaign um we also had sdn members who are sort of sitting within that collaboration um and there was a sort of standalone uh, sudan the safe collaboration which raised thirteen thousand dollars um sort of towards covid uh projects and so that was all that was the kind of the covid related um fundraising campaigns and then there was some other ones, but I don't know if you've got any questions specifically on the on the COVID ones. Well, uh, for the COVID one, I think uh, I think it was a, l- a little bit complicated, specifically in Sudan, like because now we are based in the UK, and a lot of yeah. members of of, uh, of the diaspora network are based in the US and other countries. And may- maybe like why you guys decided to start the campaign or this kind of uh, uh, relief for for Sudan, I think you see what's the situation going in your countries, you know, in the, where you're based right now, and you see how COVID hits really hard. And then at the same time, you have to kind of think about your home country, homeland, and how things are going right there, and try to kind of balance, you know. Maybe like it's easy to get, to get a mask in, in, in the UK, but in Sudan, that's a completely different story. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you basically, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, also we had, um, you know, I think this year, sort of we have we have these nhs charity organizations like the national health service um and that's funded by the government but there are these um charities that fundraise on their behalf for like families and that kind of stuff and this year that usually they hadn't fundraised more than about one hundred and fifty thousand. and i think this year they raised over you know 40 million and one of those or i think it actually might be more than a hundred um but one particular fundraising campaign went kind of viral and it it raised 20 million so like we're just talking i think we're talking in 
maybe in different kind of different scales to a certain extent like you know what we fundraise compared to what was a like what people were able to fundraise here for certain campaigns is different scales um but i think we're kind of we are moving in that direction and i think um it was yeah like you said you know one of the reasons why there was that the the kind of raising awareness was because initially i think there was this idea that that was kind of going around like oh you know Sudan's going to be fine with with covid like it's yeah. not going to you know we've got the heat or people are already dying from you know hunger and all of yeah, this yeah. yeah so it's like we you know covid's not going to get us something else will um and so and like you said yeah we we knew that the hospitals like the thing is is yeah we are predominantly us and uk based but we do have some sudan based people um and you know they were telling us like the hospitals there's like there's no ppe you know so that's why we kind of focused on the hospitals um like we didn't really send we didn't really send any ppe to kind of individuals it was more towards the hospitals and the doctors um and yeah i think i mean it's funny well not funny but like you said there were points where it was really bad here and it was really bad in the us and you're right like there was kind of there's an element of like mental gymnastics where you go yeah. here is bad but it must be worse there and i think actually for a long time it wasn't worse there um and even and even people now they still wonder like why did africa not get hit as yeah. badly generally with covid there that's a kind of tricky question else. to answer you know i don't think it's very easy people say because i don't know uh africa's not very touristic in general so no not much of covid movement is happening in the same time maybe because they're not real equipment to measure the real numbers you know of, of covid as well you know that people are really careless so it's a very tricky question to answer but you assume the worst that covid is actually existing uh, you know in every part of the planet basically yeah yeah you have to you i think you have to assume that it's kind of like you know people just people assume and i think maybe the assumption is correct like india you know their numbers are supposedly really quite low yeah. and everyone's just kind of like a country with what one point however many billion like there's just no way that it could yeah, be it's, it's as low <laughs> and even like i remember i think at one point china just their number just kind of tailed off and you're like what happened Did yeah literally not, not extra one case at some point it's like <laughs> doesn't make any sense you know no no yeah. um but yeah i think it it was just that yeah the kind of trying to trying to like speaking to people who were in sudan and identifying the ways that we could help um and help them be prepared because of the fact that there was there was this kind of like in the same way that the uk was behind italy and spain in terms of the the kind of onset of the peaks you know sudan and, and a lot of places in africa were behind in terms of the peaks as well and so it was kind of like if it's if it's bad here then it could you know very well be bad there let's try and help um yeah so i think that's that's kind of what that what our thought process was behind that yeah i think that was very very important i think also it was kind of uh, significant to raise awareness as well you know uh, for covid so you say like hey guys i am i am this i am based in this country and the situation is like this in this place so be careful you know don't don't like uh, gather in small places or you know avoid contacting people like saying hi we don't shake hands and stuff like this so it's also raising awareness was part of uh, our responsibility in the diaspora as well it's not just uh, 
you know, sending PPA or like, or fund release or stuff like this. It's also mental kind of. Yeah. Creation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny, it's funny you say that because, you know, I'll like, my dad will be on, on the phone with relatives in Sudan and throughout the, the pandemic, he's kind of always been saying like this, you know, this is very serious. Like here, we haven't left the house in X number of days or here we don't leave the house without a mask and hand sanitizer and washing your hands and you know all this kind of stuff like even now every time one of us enters the house if he's in the living room and he hears the center he'll be like uh-huh you know have you washed your hands and we're like um okay let's you know but it's it's now just part of that part of that is that you know like you said that forewarning and just saying this is very serious and i think it did take sort of a number of months and a number of those conversations and i think you know that is also part of the role as well yeah yeah it is for me the 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 funny thing was it was kind of reversed like my relatives in sudan they they watch the news they see like spain is doing really really bad so they contact me say hasan are you okay are you safe be careful say guys don't worry about me i'm taking care of myself it's you that you you need to focus on yourselves you know don't don't <laughs> like just gather in small places and you know like avoid being social that much it's, it's kind of impossible for Sudanese people actually to stay you know, to, to be antisocial, like that's a mission impossible, I think. I don't know, like this year it did not happen. The people still gather and meet and shake hands and hug, uh, even with the pandemic, so. Yeah, that's, it's tough. And it's tough, like, because the thing is, is it's not just there, it's here as well, like, you know. Um, and it's, I think it's both Sudanese culture, maybe like, um, like, for example, you go to, I don't know if, um, mosques and stuff have reopened but we until like they're they're closed i think they might have closed again now but um whilst they were open you know people are going people are wearing masks inside uh socially distanced inside but then you see you know as soon as you go outside people want to shake your hand and it's kind of like we're not supposed to be doing that guys um so it's yeah it's it, it is tough um and i think it's I think one of the toughest things is might be the kind of economic as well impact on um, on on lots of families as well. Of course, we're talking about a country that's already going through economic crisis, and that's one of the reasons that actually the revolution started in the first place. The country has not recovered from that, and then the COVID crisis came, and the pandemic just like put puts the country like to the ground. And if there's like a lower level, I think Sudan is right there. So. This is one of the reasons as well, I think you guys kind of uh, try to, to help Sudan through the flood season and what happened in, uh, in late August, beginning of September, where the floods basically destroyed the infrastructure, if there was any infrastructure in the country, and put so many families away from, from, from their homes. So I want to hear, what did the SDN uh, do in that part of... Uh... Yeah, okay, I'll... Um, so I just, there's basically, there's one other kind of major campaign that we did and it actually it feeds into the um it feeds into the like the flood relief uh, efforts so the the one that we kind of did it was focused around june 3rd which was um you know june 3rd 2019 um you know huge massacre um of of sudan uh, in, in sudan and of the revolutionaries so you know we um i guess we had sort of building up to that date we realized that we wanted to do something to kind of commemorate that and also commemorate the martyrs um who you know they had lost their lives in that fight for a new sudan 
Um, and we kind of started to think about how do we do that? We thought about how Sadaqa Jariya or continuous charity sort of in their name would be something very beneficial and something that, um, you know, would, would be, you know, an amazing thing if we could do that. So then we essentially sort of had been discussing this with some of our close collaborators. Um, so in the end, it was between Matar um, Blue Movement, uh, SAPA, which is the, sorry, SASA, which is Sudanese Abroad Students alum and Alumni, and Phila Hart. And we kind of created this collaboration called Back to Blue. Um, and like I said, it was to create this um, commemoration for the martyrs. And we did a fundraising campaign and we were able to raise uh, $7,000, um, alhamdulillah. So uh, with that money, we built a hand pump well in West Darfur, which was, um, it's actually in this, the Kerindin camp for internally displaced people. Um, and then a further two point, uh, almost 3K went to the Filler Heart family initiative. So again, we just talked about the economic support uh, or the economic downturn. And this was... Um, or this was actually, you know, essentially economic stimulus. It was giving families either money um, for them to be able to buy food and, and sort of supplies or just giving them food. And so Filler Heart, who's the organization, they're based in Sudan, they're on the ground. They um, sort of distributed that, I think. Um, I'll need to double check, but I think they estimated that it was between 10,000 and, and sort of 20,000 people that that impacted. Mashallah. Um, um, and they're just generally an amazing organization. Um, and then we had the UMST Students Initiative, who we gave, I think, $500, and they used that on medical equipment. Um, and finally, another 500 on the Green Dream Sudan. So this is a, a kind of tree planting initiative. And um, again, this is a Sobaka Jadia, so they'll be planting trees, mangoes, lemons, all kinds of fruit trees in the name um, sort of the martyrs um and then i guess after we kind of that was working through we the flood was happening so um in sudan and you know even though we are a sudanese diaspora used to seeing um flooding either when we're there or kind of yearly floods this was very very different i think it was clear to many of us that was the case um and yeah we it was, I think, you know, maybe 70 years. We hadn't seen floods and the Nile rising to that kind of level. Um, and so we quickly kind of uh, started to think, how do we how do we do something? And we got, um, we actually just went back to the same group that we were in uh, of that collaboration. And we said, okay, let's do something for, um, for this, um, for the Sudan. So we kind of created this Sudan Flood Alliance and then started brainstorming and, the thing is, is that through our previous experiences, we, we firstly, we had seen that the Nafir initiative was doing, a, doing well in terms of fundraising. And sometimes it makes it more difficult when you start to sort of create several branches going yeah. towards the same place. So we kind of thought, okay, what is it that we kind of can do well um, that other people might appreciate? And so we just created this, um, yeah, we created this video. Um, and yeah, it was put together between the those those initiatives and we released it shared it across our platforms and i think it you know might have gotten over kind of 15,000 20,000 views mm -hmm. across everybody not just not on just on one 
mm-hmm. organization and um even the the kind of the platform uh who had been um raising the money they kind of reached out and you know thanked us for the video and showed that it really benefited um i think it might have helped with a sort of 15 20k um dollars kind of boost to the to the campaign so it was um yeah it was really uh really good and i think yeah it's just one of those those things where you go okay what can we actually do exactly you know? yeah i think um, that's a that's a very nice way to end uh, like all this amazing work that you guys have been doing is what can we actually do it's like being creative is very very important and also uh having this will to contribute all the time is also very important but what matters is you don't want to do something that's repetitive you don't want to do something that uh you know drives people away from from the cause because the main purpose purpose here is getting people to understand what's happening in the country and at the end they help so that's the main goal so you don't want to do something of course like you know like nafir is doing an amazing work so you don't want to kind of repeat what they say in a way so people start doubting why there are two in different initiatives mm-hmm. here you know fishy or stuff so you just okay they have this ground they you let them have it and then you do something else and also it comes back to the importance of having a social media platform like i think still people don't really appreciate the the, the impact of social media in our lives you know uh, they say it's just a video or it's just like a meme or it's just like a text or whatever mm-hmm. or it's just a post but no it's way way bigger than that so i've seen so these people who like uh, talk about for example sexual harassment by just few slides and it reaches everywhere it changes it start like que- people start questioning themselves from this small post like this so you can actually do so much as mu- as as long as you have the will to do it and just be creative in your brainstorm with your group and you can do so 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 much you don't have to stick to the same old classic ways to help or to con- contribute mm-hmm. and i think actually interestingly enough like sometimes friction in the system like in terms of um just a, a bit of resistance as to how you could do something actually can change the outcome or change the process that you take so like for us we had seen that there is friction in creating a, a fundraising campaign for sudan not just because some of these platforms you know whether it's gofundme or you know um have issues i mean launch good actually were really good with us they didn't have any issues with it being in sudan but um i know that other other um you know we actually had to pause the campaign at one point because of um the sort of the status of uh the bank that we had a bank account we had provided but then also the transfer of money to sudan and then transferring from dollars etc etc it's so a big thing yeah there's all that friction right and that what that led us to realize is that like you said why why should we double it up why you know we don't know what is needed on the ground let's support something that's working let's support someone somebody or an organization that they are interested in doing things as well in a transparent and in a um you know in the right way and i think you know like you said the power of social media is huge because ultimately these these um the fundraising links that where are they shared they're shared across social media yeah. um and and like you said again speaking out on different um on different uh different things is huge um like i think this year we have seen like how important how important it is to create sort of content or create um these these things that raise awareness the ones that actually end up kind of proliferating or getting shared and a lot 
those are the ones that are easily consumable but, but also provide a lot of value so we've seen exactly. all these like infographics and you know the colors and like there's almost like a almost a template for it yeah. um and yeah ultimately those things are beneficial like i've read a lot of those different ones and they help you understand what's going on in the world and i think especially now where sometimes like our generations are more fed up with like what news is mainstream news is reporting on we're kind of like well you know let's let's raise our own voices and i think that's what the power of um of social media has and even just um so during during um the black lives matter like the kind of the peak of the movement um you know obviously a lot of information was a lot of great information was being shared um and yeah one of the things that um not necessarily sdn but some of the other organizations and stuff we we released this uh this video and um different people talking about their experiences and also um i was fortunate enough that they wanted to use a poem that i had had written and yeah it just like it literally went viral i think it got like you know a hundred thousand views or something so it's like you don't even know like it's never i think the it's never about it going viral, but I think that's like a, that's always this kind of, wow. Okay. Like this many people are, you yeah, know, yeah. interested it's in part of it. It's not the, the ultimate goal, but it's part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, you know, all this uh, great work for, for Sudan, uh, either, you know, you do stuff for, for the, for SDN or you do stuff by yourself. It brings me back to, to, to the, to, I think a problem that we all have in the diaspora, which is, how can I help Sudan or how can I help the people in Sudan? And I'm being in a diaspora. And sometimes, you know, it's, you start questioning, like, do I really, like, am I actually contributing? Uh, I, I do remember this because like in the days of the revolution where like the country is changing upside down and we're here, I don't want to say living our lives, but you know, we, we also have a life to, 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 to go through. Still in the same time, our minds are so busy with Sudan and the problems there. And we are always in this dilemma the whole time, you know, it's Sudan and our current lives. Are we really contributing? Do I have to really be in Sudan in Khartoum to be actually helpful? Or can I do something from here? And I think also like one of the things that people don't realize, it's like, it doesn't matter how much you do from the, like from our point of view, I think we never feel like it's enough. You feel like, no, I'm, I'm missing. I'm still not on the ground. You know, I think I need to do more. I'm not really satisfied with that, with what I've done because I missed like the revolution. I missed this. I missed that. Do you have the same doubts? It's uh yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a tricky, it's like a dichotomy in a sense. Like you, um, you kind of, you never, so like to a certain extent, you're like, you don't necessarily completely feel like you're from here say, or from Spain. But then at the same time, you're not really from, you know, you're not necessarily from Sudan in the sense that, you know, I've never, I've never lived there for a significant amount of time. So it's, you kind of get caught in between. And I think, I feel like we all, like our relationship with Sudan, it kind of changes over time. And I think actually, even though it was really hard, like, like, the thing is, is that there's this like diaspora's guilt, right? So we kind yeah. of we feel guilty that we're here, and then, and and then we feel guilty that we can't necessarily help in a meaningful way. Um, so then, like when we get that guilt, we're kind of like, yeah, but we're not, we're not as like bad. We're not, we're better off than there. 
like in terms of like there were people who you know died in this in the revolution yeah. right and i think so we can't necessarily get too caught up in in those like those feelings because i guess like how how helpful are they i think what is more impactful is if we try to understand our relationship with sudan better and 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 yeah and then like you said we need to find creative ways of actually having a meaningful impact so is that raising awareness here yeah. um you know speaking up like just through what we were doing um partially sdn and partially uh, just what the Sudanese community in, in the UK was doing. You know, we we made a lot of noise, you know, almost weekly we were at Trafalgar Square. Um, oh, you know, nice. we were we were organizing um, like sort of solidarity protests. We were outside the embassy a lot of the time. We were sending letters and, and tweeting at MPs to, to try and get them to, um, you know, debate what to do in Sudan. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's kind of like, how how useful do those those feelings of of guilt um eventually like what what do they what comes out of them but then the other thing is um like when i say about your relationship with sudan like is it aspirational like i think for me for a long time there were aspirational elements like but i think as well the psychology of of like the you know this like the savior savior complex is mm. not necessarily helpful yeah. and also like no. i still to a certain extent romanticize going and living in sudan and having an impact but at the same time i'm still here and i'm still trying to do that impact here like um so yeah is it aspirational and um like yeah what do you do you want more and are you actually going about getting more because i think previously i wanted more but I didn't go about it. And I think, yeah, my my younger brother actually said a while ago, he kind of said, you know, people, they always say like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And they think that once they, you know, leave their job or once they have more time, they will do that. But actually, if you wanted to to do that, you would be doing it right now. Yeah, like, you would find it, yeah. a way, you would find time. True. Um, sorry, I've spoken for a, yeah, kind of got no, that's 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 actually yeah. It's 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 connected to the identity crisis thing, you know, being a third culture kid thing as well. It's it's way way too complicated. But I do believe, like I do believe the the revolution that took place last year it was a chance for us, the people in the diaspora, actually, a kind of revolution for us as well. You know, to learn more about our country, to understand uh, the culture, the history even more. It's not just about changing the system or the regime. It was a change for us as well. So there's so many things. Of course, I, people might maybe they will never see. You know, like you are living outside. You're just having a good time. So it's, it's way more complicated than that. So you start, like you said, like you you have this uh, 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 feeling that like, uh, always want to go back to Sudan and live there and stuff. For me, it's like I feel like I'm a representative all the time. I feel like whatever I do here, because uh, there's there's a good number of Sudanese members in uh, in in the UK. Here, we're we're not much in Spain. Mm-hmm. Like in Madrid, we're 42. Or four to three. I think there's one guy who came a few weeks ago. So we're really little. Like we're not much people. We're very few. So whatever I do here is like ah, the Sudanese guy have done this, and it's actually me. It's very easy to identify, you know. So I feel like I'm a representative. It's a little bit of 
it has it's like pressure you know like i have to behave all the time don't do something bad you might like screw up so much for people who want to come over or stuff like this and uh it's like you fight within the with these things all the time within yourself you know and then you try to do something helpful and contribute back to the community or back to society so you release the guilt but it comes back it hits back again mm. yeah actually like one something i was reading the other day they were talking about this um this concept called third space theory so like you know how there's like third culture kid um third space theory it's basically like saying it's exactly what we we're talking about is the idea of being stuck in the middle so mm. it's like say the you know the first space is where you currently reside and the second space is where maybe your like home is and then the third space is where you actually occupy which is kind of in between the two of them um so you kind of yeah you it's like you're you're simultaneously a foreigner almost in both in both sort of home nations right yeah um and i think one of the points I think the, the point that you made about being the representative, it kind of brings me on to like what I guess like there were parallels, I think, between the the Black Lives Matter movement and the Sudanese revolution. And I and I think yeah. there were parallels not just in well, one of the things I think was that like idea of being a representative, right? Um like for me within the 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 Black Lives Matter movement, there was a lot of like, I felt like sometimes there was a lot of pressure on me to say this or to say that. And then at the same time, I think, like you said, when during some of the, the, the kind of, you know, most violent parts of it in terms of the murder of George Floyd and and just, it was the, the kind of, I've actually over the last few months have really cut my social media consumption because during those months, I just, it was really hard to, to not feel like you were just currently on a, like a nerve end, you know, and like sometimes trying to go into work when this is happening and like none of your colleagues have any idea that your, your head is just some, somewhere completely else. And I think that's the, that was almost a, an identical feeling to the, the Sudanese revolution in a way. It was like something is, something is really going on, but actually no one else like apart from if you're Sudanese or apart from if you're black has an idea that this is such a big thing, right? True, yeah, yeah, yeah. True, yeah, man, you're bringing so much memories now to, to for example, yeah, the, during the Black Lives Matter, actually, yeah, being black, it means that everything you post has to be like, you know, put like carefully because you could say something that be taken, you know, ah, you're part of the black community why are you saying this you should say that and it was so much pressure same thing walking down the street at that time being black everybody's looking at you expecting for you to say something you know as as if i am the one who initiated the black lives matter movement well i'm i'm just the one who like faces racism as everybody else you know i'm a victim not not like uh, not like uh a guy who's to save the day here so it, it's a, it's a lot of problems that we go through in the diaspora and the idea of not feeling feeling home all the time is it's a big thing i think we need to kind of learn how to live with this yeah i mean the the way i've tried to like do it is to reframe it in my mind as and i know sometimes the thing is is like people have said it to me before they'd be like oh but you get the benefit of being from both and like in certain mental like in certain capacities when someone says that to you you're like that's not a thing but i think if you start to 
realize all the ways that you actually benefit from being here and there or being from here and from there then actually you start to think okay like there's no other version of me that is kind of you know there's no other version of me that is is more me than i am now and the only way that i am me is from being from both of these places at the same time like it it doesn't have to be one or the other you know um but yeah it's um yeah the like you said about the the kind of black lives matter it even like sometimes i would i i posted some like sometimes i would post stuff and i would say something because it's just like this is what i think this is what mm-hmm. i feel and then you'd get people who would kind of be like oh but like this and that and this and you're like sometimes i just wouldn't have the like capacity to to even respond like yeah. i'd just be like <laughs> it's too much <laughs> it's, yeah it's just like just figure it out like you know in uh-huh. particular one of the moments that really kind of got to me was the like the black squares mm-hmm. um because it was Very like controversial though yeah i was like nobody has said anything like half of you you haven't said anything up till now and you're just posting black squares and you're done that's it yeah um yeah. so i kind of posted some stuff and then mm. like lots of people were like oh but you're saying like this and that and i was like like some of them are actually close friends as well like so i'm not even meaning to kind of um like at them or anything i'm just saying like you know it's hard to to have that that kind of mental capacity all the time um but i guess like I'm interested to get your take on um on like so you've obviously you might have seen I know you're a football fan so you might have seen the like the kind of discussions around like the use of black and you know certain certain in certain countries obviously it's the word black is a derivative of negro yeah right yeah yeah um is it neg- negro in negro Spanish? Yeah. negro um and Cavani obviously with his uh his reply to to a fan i don't know if you saw yeah. that yeah yeah i've seen that and i've seen another one which took place also two weeks ago uh, in uh, between in psg istanbul. in yeah. istanbul yeah Dembo yeah of this, these these two man i think they're very different and uh, actually i was uh, actually to be honest i wanted again back to what to post what not to post i wanted to make an episode on the podcast and i recorded one episode then i deleted it about this you deleted it now yeah. you, that's saved in the archive somewhere surely Man, it does the thing, you know, like it's a little bit controversial. So I discussed this with my friends, but I kept it to myself at the end and I, I did not post it. So, so the first one, what I understood, what Cavani did, he replied to uh, one guy in a post by saying, Mi Negrito. And uh, what I know from uh, Latin, in Latin America, if, if somebody is like close to you or you want to like, you're being very, uh, like you adore them or something, you call them Negrito, even if they're not black. Like my little blackie or something like this. So from their perspective, this is completely okay and nice and sweet. But then uh, if you take it to a bigger scale, this is terrible, you know? So uh, the good thing Cavani completely understood the, the idea after he was being like, you know, confronted yeah. with it and he took it, he took it back. That was really good. So I think the reaction is very important. Like you make the mistake, but then you understand what you've done. Then you correct the mistake. That's quite good. The other situation in, in, in Turkey, that was, that was worse. That was way, way worse. 
So what happened was uh, I don't I don't know. Do you, are you are you aware of the details of the that incident? I'm I'm aware of the details, but it sounds like you know some intricacies that maybe I've I've not picked up on yet. Well, probably you know. I think I think you love football as well. <laughs> but uh, what happened was yeah, the 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 referee was supposed to send out to send off uh, one of the assistant managers who was uh, I forgot his name. Uh, Pierre something. Pierre is something I think he's from Cameroon. He was supposed to send him off, and there were like few assistant managers. So the main referee is asking the fourth official which one, and both are Romanians. So he said the black one, which means which he I think he said it in Romanian, which was Al Negro, the mm-hmm. black one. Mm-hmm. And that was just terrible in every aspect of it. You are officiating a game on an international level. The official languages of, of, of uh, UEFA Champions League are English, German, and French, I think, in that order. Or English, French, and German, in that order. So you, you use the terminologies of these. You, you're not actually supposed to communicate in your own local language between the officials. Mm. You're not supposed to do that. And if you do, you should know what, what to say, what not to say. Because, for example, if, if one, one player uh, went to another black player, let's say Neymar in this case, and called him Negro, the referee said, oh, no, that's okay, because in Romania, Negro means like just the black, it's the color, it's not uh, an offense. So this was really, really terrible. And I'm, I was glad that actually uh, one of the players, Dembaba, was protesting and mm-hmm. talking to referees like, this, this is wrong, you're not supposed to identify him by his color, The first of all. Second of all, even if you do that, you don't say Negro. You don't say Negro. And then the, the two teams, first uh, Dembaba moved his team to, to step mm-hmm. out of the game. Then the second team, uh, led by Neymar and Pape, decided not to continue the game as well. So this was kind of controversial, very, very controversial as well. So many people asking questions like, why are you guys offended by saying, he said, the black one? You, you, like, you should be proud, proud of your culture. You always, I'm black, I'm this, you know, hip-hop and stuff. We brought the music. So when somebody identify you by black, you get upset. And this, this was like the, the delicate point that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing, one other thing, I think the points that like, maybe a lot of people miss is the fact that like, you know, it's in those languages, where it's, they're using the word Negro, like, it's obviously, it is, is deeply rooted in racism, because actually, it comes from like Negroid, and it comes, and that comes from like, a very sort of classical interpretation of race, where I think they split it as Negroid, uh, mongoloid and caucasoid right mm-hmm. and so like you know obviously caucasian is still used but the fact is is that it was used as a term it wasn't like ca- caucasian was never used as a term to marginalize people or for racism towards white people right mm-hmm. whereas negro and negro definitely was like the whole idea of sp- splitting people into races was so that you could have a dominance of one race over the other so I think the fact is, is like that, like for me, I was, I've had this discussion with one of my friends, he's also a football fan. And I was kind of saying like, okay, is this, you know, obviously people are going to say, oh, what? so we can't say black now. And it, maybe it's a case of, you know, you don't say it about a person anymore. Like, you know, if you're referring to a person, you couldn't use that word. And it's just like, in this, and he was kind of making the point was in the same way that we create things, we can also take them away. Like language was created. It wasn't like it's always existed. Like we've always yeah. just used that term. And I think one of the things that I realized, well, there's a few things. One of the things is like football is actually a really great 
like vehicle for having these conversations. Um, and the second thing was that I feel like, and maybe you can talk on this is like, maybe, maybe some cultures and, and some places like are still quite far behind in the conversation. So I don't know if you felt like when Black Lives Matter was happening, like Spain felt quite far behind and maybe in the same way Romania is quite far behind and maybe in the same way, you know, in Latin America is quite far behind because I laughed when you said like li little, my little black boy as like yeah. a, as a term of endearment. But obviously yeah. like for me, I immediately thought of a very negative thing, right? As a, you know, ownership and, and that kind of stuff. And, and maybe, you know, that's just my, my sort of world viewpoint but and it could be actually a real term of endearment but presumably it could actually be very much steeped in racism and slavery so it could be actually it could be i you uh, i remember one one thing i i go to a barber here and he's from venezuela south america as well and this is where i actually get to know negrito is a kind of a nice thing to say to somebody it's more like a compliment not not anything else when i went to him and I thought like just like he's gonna be my barber for for these years. I'm actually in Spain like recently. I'm not, I'm not been. I haven't been here in the country for that long. So uh, he like he's having fun with me. Sometimes he plays to his music for me. You know, on the on the barber. Okay, it's, yeah. it's quite it's quite <laughs> sweet. Yeah, and it took him a while. And then after like a few times, he said like, "Can I please call you Negrito?" You know, for us, it means I really like. You know, admire you. It's, uh, it doesn't mean anything bad. I don't refer to this. I don't refer to race. It's just like I admire you. And that was okay. What, how can I reply to this guy? So first of all, I appreciate your kindness. You're being very nice to me, you know. So uh, I understand that. But this word is really grave. And it's, you try to avoid using it. You know, you should not use it. You should really not use it. So, but no, I, I, I just mean just for you, it's very special. And then to be honest, I, I leaned and said, okay, you can say it just to me, but don't say it to anybody else because now I understand the context. But I told him the whole story, why this is a great word that you should not use it. It's not cool for you to use it at all. It's actually not a compliment. But in our specific case, I kind of understand what you want to say. So go ahead. I gave him the permission. <laughs> specific circumstances. <laughs> Yeah. That's that's a tough one because like, I guess like sometimes on like a large scale you forget that, you know these these kind of structures or systems are ultimately made up of very small, you know relationships, right? Like, and so it's easy to say like, oh no, no one can say that, but then, you know, he's he's really coming to you and you're trying to understand his culture and he's trying to understand your culture, and in the end, you know, you have to find a way to kind of move forward together. Um, and to be honest, I don't know what I don't know what I would say either. Yeah, um, yeah I know, I know. You you wouldn't, or so many people would say no. But I don't know. I found that that connection quite special. I said maybe he's learning something from this. You know, let's let's bring him to our side. You know, let's <laughs> accept him instead of reject him. But he was kind of sensitive and very tricky. And in the moment, I had to do something about it. So it's like, okay, let's educate him a little bit, whatever knowledge I have, and then just move with it. Yeah, I I I mean, I'm now very curious about. Like, because obviously I know where neg Negro comes from, but I'm more specifically curious now about Negrito and I now want to read into it to find out, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, what it's all about um, if I ever get faced with that. <laughs> yeah, I should. You should. And I think, I, I hope, I hope someday we all, you know, the whole planet comes to, to agreement of, of the, you know, the, the slavery and segregation and the word Negro is associated to it. So hopefully we can stop this madness, you know. So like the people... People are being racist to you and like by actions 
and by language and by so many aspects, they don't want to leave you alone. And the second you complain, they say, ah, well, we, can, we cannot talk now. So it's political mm -hmm. correctness. Yeah, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah, it's difficult. It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's quite complicated. Well, I think we have we've been having an amazing conversation, but I want to conclude it and end it by your passion and your love for, for, for spoken word. I know you're a poet, and I know you've written uh, some poems here and there, but I want to know how, how this started, especially being a poet in English. That's for me something <laughs> really interesting. So how did this all start? Um, so I guess like I've... I kind of had been writing a little bit like on and off um, and then like I don't know I, I don't even know if I did it as a kid or I don't really think I did um, but then say like when the Sudanese revolution started um, I kind of used it as a way for me to channel a lot of the thoughts and uh, and I guess my feelings about what's happening um, so I you know I had written one or two poems basically before the Sudanese revolution started. Um, and again, some of them were to do with Sudan. Um, and then after that, I just kind of kept doing it and stayed with it. And it, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I've, even though I do share some of them on my plat on my uh, Instagram, like predominantly, you know, I've got a lot that I've just written and I haven't necessarily shared. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, it's just, it's a great way of, of, kind of yeah it's it's like therapeutic in a sense like you reconciling and you figuring out what's going on um and so yeah then i just started to channel it through through pen really um yeah have you written anything in arabic or it's all it's all english um i i mean i've got arabic words in there but it's oh, okay. it's all it's it's yeah it's all in english like i to be honest like i feel like arabic like poetry in Arabic is just another level. Um, so inshallah, you know, one day I'll have the Arabic skills to write poetry in Arabic. But um, yeah, like even when I hear Sudanese poets that um, that are, you know, Arabic, Arabic poets, they, they're phenomenal, mashallah. So, you know, I feel like there's levels. I'm still, I'm still at English. Then uh, yeah. no, I think I think uh, that the comparison is quite unfair between the two languages when it comes to, to poetry. But for me, the since I love the Arabic poetry so much, but I feel the English one is is kind of new to me. Like I I still trying to figure it out. So when I I've seen like you once posted something about praying, and that that was the that's the poet, and it was like kind of like new. You know, it's like, like why haven't I heard something like this before? Because usually I just listen to the Arabic poetry. So it was completely <laughs> different, you know, very different. So I, I don't try to compare them per se, you know, like the English or Arabic, which one is higher. Of course, the two languages are very complicated in their own ways. But the English voice is just, it's just very interesting. Super, super interesting to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, yeah, still trying to, I guess, develop my, my style and stuff. But yeah, I think, I think, like you said, there's, you know, there's with the, with the English, it's almost like, it can go in specific directions like with like a lot some spoken word artists they're more kind of musical and they're more with a beat kind of thing uh whereas some are kind of i guess like much more classical like classically trained uh, so i would say i'm definitely on the on the kind of more sort of musical and not, like even sometimes in my head when i'm writing it i feel like there's a beat there kind of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um 
but I'm interested. Have you have you read um, Tayyip Saleh's books? I have read the Muslim al Hijra al Shamal. That's the only one. And Aris al Zain, yeah. And you've read it. You read it in Arabic. I've read it in Arabic, yeah. Uh, okay, because basically, I think it would take me a long time to read it in Arabic. So, I, but I do really want to read his uh, his books. So, um, but I just wanted to see if anyone has read in both and a comparison. Like, my uh, dad has said to me, "There's no comparison." <laughs> yeah, I think like, he, he written it in English, and then he was like, and then it was translated to uh, sorry in Arabic. Then it was translated to English. No? Yeah, exactly. So it's, even then, it's unfair already because it's a trans mm. <laughs> it's a translation. Oh, I thought I thought he written in both languages because he he lived in the UK. So I think maybe he wrote it in English and in Arabic. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I know it's been translated to a lot of languages, but mm. maybe it is like sort of native in both English and and Arabic. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think, and I think that you know, it's like I guess in terms of the like I I mentioned the kind of the internal aspects of the poetry and the spoken word um, in terms of how it helps me and stuff, but. Um, in terms of when I share it, like, alhamdulillah, I've had really good responses on a, on a lot of them. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's crazy because I think that's like, it's a, it's a fundamental human, um, human thing is that we, we look for resonance in things like whether it's music or, or poetry or art and yeah. you write something and you just think I'm writing this for myself and then you share it and then people are like, Oh, that specific line or this and that. And you're like, okay, yeah. you know that makes you feel like you know part of i guess something a little bit bigger than than just yeah. yourself and your thoughts yeah yeah although it's quite personal so like i i completely understand when a poet like you know says like i released two or three poems and the rest are just gonna be for me because usually yeah they express themselves themselves very like deeply and you know they it's kind of exposing yourself through these poems if somebody actually reads them and reads behind the lines they can get to know you sometimes you want to keep these things for yourself yeah, it's true. It's true. Like there are some that I'm like, it's very much uh, like on a different on on two di two or three different days you could feel differently about sharing it. Like mm. I've been there are some ones that are very very personal, and I'm like I've been close to sharing them. Like maybe I just do it, you know. Yeah. And then some days I'm like, ah, you know what? I can't do this. I can't, you know. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still like I said, still kind of feeling out the process. But um, yeah, I'm hoping. Inshallah, I can I can sort of continue to release stuff. Uh, That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to ask you one last question before we end. Usually, I, I'm I'm not a poet at all. Uh, what I what I do to write down my ideas and because my dad always told me that idea does not exist until you write it down. Well, either it's uh, it's whatever. Good <laughs> yeah. So I usually use the notes, the notes application on my phone to write whatever, and it, I like I come back to them from time to time and say, wow, did I write this one year ago? <laughs> so <laughs> I have one note here that says uh, on, on the last day of 2019, and I wrote down 2019, what the hell was that? And now <laughs> <laughs> how can I write something for 2020? <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you like uh, draft your, 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 uh, your poets in uh, your poems in, in notes or do you like sit down on a computer or do you write them down with your pencil? So so the i've got like two main like note apps that i use uh i use like keep you know google keep usually that's like for me i don't know why but i because one note is like quite um so the other one is one note um like the microsoft one mm. and one note because it's got like i guess like books and chapters and like sorry books 
sections and pages. Like for me, I feel like that's three level. Like if I have to decide where I'm going to write something that is a thought that has just come to me, I fear I might lose it because I'm yeah. like, I want to then organize it in a certain place. So what I'll do is if a thought comes to me or like sometimes just a few lines will come to me, like you, like, you, you know, the ideas come, sometimes lines will just come. And so then I'll just open keep immediately on my phone and I'll just type those in. Um, and then, yeah, I guess if I, if I feel that sort of is a, is a, like a strong wave in a, in a way, then I'll continue and try and, and like ride or write through that. Um, and then later on I might move it somewhere else. Um, and then I, I mean, I do still write in a, in a notebook occasionally, like I do a lot of my journaling on paper. Um, so yeah, that's where I've written, written some of it, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's where I, what I tend to use. Um, but in answer to your, I guess, what, what are you going to write for 2020? No idea. I'm going to be waiting for the last day and just opening the note, whatever comes to my head. Just gonna put it down there, and uh, it's it's gonna be very difficult to express the feelings and all the emotions through just a few lines on notes. I do this kind of, like I have this habit of using my notes, you know, for everything that comes to my mind, and try to learn how to express myself better through the notes. You know, better than just talking or sometimes you talk to somebody else and they they interpret it differently. So I keep it here, you know, in in words. So I use it, use it for my birthday, for New Year's any kind of important occasions, either, either good or bad, I just use the notes for that. And then I come back to them. I, I try not to open them until one year passes by. Mm. But I somehow went through this. I said, really? 2019 was bad? Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like, do you have any plans to do like a reflective, like solo podcast, like at the end of the year? Or are you going to just do... Uh, I, I do have, I do have, uh, an episode about, uh, how the year was for me. Yeah. It's going to be just a solo episode, but still in production. In production. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm at the moment I'm toying with the idea of, uh, of, uh, of a poem like to end the year. I don't know. Like there was some stuff I wrote earlier in the year. Um, which that's the thing is that I guess, do you ever come back to like notes or ideas and you just wish you would have written more or you wish you'd have like finished them? So like for me, there's like, there's like I said about how it's kind of like a wave. You don't know if that same wave will come again, like maybe sure. a different wave will come and you can, but is it going to be the exact one that, and sometimes you need a different wave. Like sometimes you need, you know, a bigger wave to get you over the line for finishing it. Um, so yeah maybe we'll see i guess it, it is good to be um kind of like reflective and one of the things that i don't know if you know gary verner vernerchuk no. or i probably pronounced his name wrong but um he's just kind of like motivational guy on instagram and stuff and he kind of says like you don't even need to necessarily content create you just need to document the process so like for example nice. there are people who you know, they'd say to you, Hassan, like, how did you set up your podcast? Or, you know, what was your thought process behind it? And if you've documented that either in, you know, text or in a video where you just say, this is why I'm doing it, you know, that's actually really beneficial for people more than you creating content about something that isn't, you know, that. So I think when you're, because, the, yeah, we are generally people who are creating things all the time. And so actually, rather than like creating yeah it's kind of like 
some people are like, I'm going to make a video today, right? Yeah. But instead of doing that, just document the interesting thing that you were doing already or the creative thing that you're doing already. Um, yeah. And um, I guess I'm still trying to think of a line to give you for 2020, even though I'm not, you know, <laughs> not your ghostwriter. But uh, <laughs> I was gonna 2020, take a how do we top that? <laughs> yeah, that could be one. God, that could be one. Could it get worse? I don't know. Where do we go from here? Yeah, where do you go from here? It's 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 been such a tough ride, such an intense ride. But for me, the most interesting thing about this year that it was it was an interesting year for everybody. Like we are we were all somehow like we all started on the same boat. But then after that, people went on different ways. People decided to some people decided to stay in the same place and complain. Some people decided to move on, some people jump off the boat, you know, and their lives. <laughs> some people couldn't do it, some people tried. So we all kind of started together in March or April, you know, the whole world were in the same room. And from there, some people still stuck in that place. And some people just have like Jeff Bezos, for example, completely in a different <laughs> planet right now. So yeah, it's, it's easy to complain and, you know, just be negative, but it's not easy just to, to make real work on the ground and stay consistent with it and, you know, feel good about yourself. That, these things are really tough. That's really, really, really tough. I think this year is all about that. 2020 let's leave the room <laughs> yeah let's leave the room jump or the 2020 2020 you should leave the room so it's yeah. like telling 2020 to leave the room <laughs> yeah 2020 leave the room and at at this point now we're gonna leave the podcast as well for you hey. <laughs> so Muhammad Jafar, i'm like i'm sorry i'm calling you by your full name i think you're used to moji right Muhammad Jafar Moji, whatever. I'm, that's yeah. that's fine with me. Government name, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As if you've done something bad. No, man. I'm I'm really happy that you actually have been part of uh, the podcast. As this episode will be part of the series that I'm creating. That's called Sunnis Creators. So I'm happy that you jumped in. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation, and um, yeah, looking forward to to seeing it when it's out. I'm sure you'll be a be much more diligent than i have been so <laughs> no no it's, it's gonna it's very it's, it's, it's been fun and easy going that's the podcast it's all about that so yeah when it's out inshallah it's gonna be uh, on youtube for you to watch our reactions you know and mm -hmm. everything and also you can as always listen to the podcast on spotify and google podcast apple podcast all the other platforms so uh, that's it that's the episode of today i hope everybody's safe if you're listening to this during 2020, then you can actually relate. If you're listening to this in 2021, it's going to be a completely different world. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, Moji, thank you for, for, for coming uh, to the podcast. And uh, hopefully more to, to come from SDN as well, from you. And uh, we're going to have a lot, a lot to talk about for, for the next years, for sure. This is just going to be the start. And, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And, um yeah, the, the offer is is very much still there for you to to come back on or to come onto onto my podcast, inshallah. Um, most likely in the new year. Um, nice. So looking forward to that, inshallah. Nice. Okay, I'll be, uh, on the description box of this episode, you will find uh, all the links for for Moji for his podcast, for Instagram account, for uh, you can see his poems as well. And also, we're gonna link uh, SDN Word their account and the amazing work they've been doing, so you can review their work and be part of the future projects as well. So this is me, Hassan Fadl, your host. Stay tuned for the coming episode. Peace out. <laughs>